Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, more specifically, welcome to UFC Fight Night Thoughts and Comments. I'm going to jump through the whole card, give my reactions to each fight. And if you've been following the podcast, I must apologize. The main card preview and predictions didn't quite make it up on time. Had all my notes done, pretty much everything sorted out. I just needed to go back to the Ling Ji Liang fight against Muslim Salikov to pick my winner. And somewhere in there, I fell asleep, so this card taking place in Australian time from about 1am to about 8am, so I kind of watched it, but I was also like asleep and listening and all that sort of jazz, so what I'm going to do today is re-watch it, watch each fight, uh, give some thoughts before and some comments after in classic UFC thoughts and comments style, so for anyone hanging out for that main card prediction podcast, I do apologise. Not just a sports report, as I say, an unconventional take. So I guess in this occasion, the unconventional part of it was that you just had to assume what my tips were. These things happen every now and then. Um, So yeah, unfortunately, this unconventional take was that you just have to assume what my tips are for today. But next weekend, UFC London, I'll have that card out very early this time. I've already started doing my tape, study and notes, so... The UFC London preview and predictions, that will be out in record time. Promise that one will get up. And apologies for not getting the predictions out for the main card. Let's get into what we're here for, though, and that is the UFC Long Island card. I've got the first match locked and loaded, ready to go. Of course, the card headlined by featherweights Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. A pretty unfortunate end to that one, but I'll get to that when the time comes. So as you can probably tell, I know the results. I haven't quite seen how the fights went down though. So what I'm going to do is jump through all the fights, give my thoughts and comments, and what better place to start than our opening fight of the card, women's strawweight action between Emily Ducote and Jessica Penney. Going into this one, I had Emily Ducote winning by decision. I saw that she did, so I was very happy with that. Put some extra money in my betting account as well, so... A great start to a morning that, unfortunately, I slept through most of. So, first fight of the card, Emily Ducote, Jessica Penney. This one went to decision with Emily Ducote getting the win. Now what I'm going to do is sit down and actually watch the fight. I'll come back at the end with my thoughts and comments. First two fights down the hatch. I'll start with our opener. Now, Emily Ducote, she got the win. Pretty clear, unanimous decision. But the clear thing I took away from that fight were the calf kicks. That is undoubtedly how Ducote forged her way all the way to victory. She just kept chopping that calf. She really did compromise the legs of Jessica Panay as well, which is a great testament to just how tough Jessica Panay is. I've seen fighters with the leg that compromised. I've seen them bite the bullet and just get finished in that moment. 
Jessica Penne, she still had her wits about her. She managed to avoid getting finished, but unfortunately, she didn't pick up the win. So the former Invicta FC strawweight champion, Emily Decody, gets the win. And I actually didn't realize Jessica Penne was ranked 14th in the women's strawweight division. So with that win, you do have to wonder, does Emily Decody now enter the rankings off the back of her UFC debut? Or maybe another test, but I guess if she's beaten Jessica Panay, logically, she should take that 14th position in the rankings. So, Emily Decody could not have asked for a better debut. She got the win, potentially has herself a spot inside the top 15, and it seemed like there were no octagon jitters at all for the debutante. Emily Decody getting the first win by decision, that also was my prediction. As we then went into our second fight, Dwight Grant in front of his home crowd, up against Dustin Stoltzfus in the middleweight division. We had Dwight Grant moving from welterweight up to middleweight, and Dustin Stoltzfus 0-3 in the UFC leading up to this one. I took Dustin Stoltzfus, I said either decision or submission, and in the end Dustin got it done by decision, did a pretty awesome slam toward the end of the fight there as well, picked up Dwight Grant, carried him across the ring, and then just dropped him on the mat. So, look, very impressive for Dustin Stoltzfus. He finally gets that first UFC win that he's been after. He gets to fight in front of a crowd as well. And congratulations, Dustin Stoltzfus. A quality win over Dwight Grant. And with that, my first two predictions of the card were correct. Was really, really happy with that. And then we lead into our next fight, Dustin Jacoby up against Daun Jung, one of the fights I was no doubt super excited for, given the unbeaten streaks that both men had been on leading into this one. I went Dustin Jacoby by decision. Daun Jung has never been knocked out in his career. That was until today. Dustin Jacoby getting the knockout win. I haven't seen how it went down, so very, very curious to sit down and watch this one now. About to jump into light heavyweight action, Dustin Jacoby up against South Korea's Daun Jung. Alright, it has started to bucket down with rain in the time it's uh, taken me to watch that fight, which wasn't even very long. Dustin Jacoby with a first round knockout. Not the most brutal, but he connected clean and just... All it took was one shot. He knocked Darwin Jung to the ground. Referee called it then and there. And Dustin Jacoby picks up a huge win. There we go. There's the rain. Picks up a huge win. And now, undoubtedly, what is next for Dustin Jacoby is a test up against a fellow ranked opponent. So for Jacoby, he holds on to his spot in the top 15. And now he starts to turn his focus toward making a run for that title belt. So a phenomenal return for Dustin Jacoby, coming back from seven years away, earned his UFC contract in 2020, and he is yet to look back. Six wins, no losses, and only one draw since returning to the UFC. Gee whiz, this rain is going hardcore at the moment. But we see, yeah, Dustin Jacoby getting his hand raised there. And huge win for Jacoby. And my main thoughts and comments out of that is, uh, is there anything fucking lamer than the USA chant? No offense if you're American, but I feel like for anyone else outside of America, it's fucking like, I don't know, I'm just like, come on, come on, USA, USA. Like, okay, cool, whatever. 
Uh, that's just a minor gripe, honestly. Americans will be Americans, but yeah, the USA chant, I'm, I'm not a fan. Maybe I'd be more of a fan if I was from the USA and I was a part of it. Maybe I'm just salty that I've been left out of it. But yeah, it's one of those things. Even I have a mate who went over to the United States and apparently while he was out there clubbing, kind of the music stopped and you know that you know when the music stops at the club and everyone's like oh what the, what the fuck everyone's waiting for the music to come back on well apparently in this particular club Miami I believe uh, everyone broke out into a USA chant so yeah I don't know what the go is with the USA chant but what I do know is that Dustin Jacoby picks up a massive win over Darwin Jung becoming the first man to ever knock Darwin Jung out in professional career or in his professional career, rather. And Darwin Jung, that is his first loss since 2015. So a remarkable win for Dustin Jacoby. And now we look forward to our next fight. What do we got? We got Bill Elgio up against Herbert Burns. I remember a little bit of this one. There is a submission there, I think, in the first round. Now, I went Bill Elgio by decision. But the thing I was worried about was if Herbert Burns locks up a submission attempt. Well, we saw him do that in this fight, and Bill Elgio managed to get out of it. It was a very, very tight submission. Like, that was no joke what Bill Elgio did there. What I'm going to do now, though, is I'm going to rewatch the Bill Elgio fight, see exactly how the finish went down, and then I will be back with my thoughts and comments. ceased that may be because in the last five seconds i've lived an entire day i've gone to work it's actually a new day than it was two minutes ago in this podcast so it's a new day i'm feeling good and i've actually watched the entire card now so i'll just go straight through with all of my thoughts on the card starting with bill lgo up against herbert burns with look lgo was in trouble early with that triangle submission choke but after that point, Herbert Burns just didn't look himself. Bill Elgio totally took control of the fight. And in between rounds, we saw Gilbert, the brother of Herbert, trying to will his brother to just get back out there. He was saying, come on, get back up, get back up. That was a really bad sign. Herbert didn't even want to get back up in between rounds. He ended up doing so. And then, yeah, he didn't, didn't last much longer. Around two TKO or knockout for Bill Elgio. Huge win for Bill coming off that epic win up against Joe Anderson Britu. And for Bill, for the first time in his UFC tenure, he now has back-to-back -back wins. For Herbert Burns, it seemed quite, uh, quite strange, to be honest, when he did go down and when he didn't want to get back up from his corner in between rounds. We've since found out that a knee injury is what caused that. So during that triangle submission choke, I believe Herbert's knee blew up. And after that point, like, he just didn't seem the same. So definitely very unfortunate. We saw Gilbert carry Herbert from the ring. And to be honest, it looks like it's going to be quite some time before we see Herbert back in action. Very unfortunate as well, given that he only just came back from two years off. So... Definitely unfortunate for Herbert Burns, but for Bill Elgio, a massive win. His first back-to-back -back victories inside the UFC. And now he can start to make his mark on the featherweight division going forward. After that, speaking of making a mark, 
We had Ricky Simone up against Jack Shaw. This was my highlight fight of the prelims. And I spoke about Jack Shaw as a top prospect. Like I was hugely high on this bloke and his talent and his potential. Well, Ricky Simone put an end to that. And look, I'm a huge fan of Ricky's as well. I just thought that Jack Shaw was going to be on another level. He was not. Ricky Simone, this was his contest. He was winning the grappling exchanges. And then in the second round, he ended up absolutely flooring Jack Shaw. A perfect, clean, crisp strike. Shaw dropped down to the ground. Simone gets on top and gets the submission win. The first person to ever defeat Jack Shaw. That was a huge moment. I spoke about the winner and how they were about to make a huge leap forward within the bantamweight division. I thought it was going to be Jack Shaw, but after this, I think it's fair to say Ricky Simone is on his way toward a title shot. No, not the next title shot or anything like that. Let's remember how stacked the bantamweight division is. But no doubt, like this sets him up for a top 10 opponent next. And going forward, Ricky Simone, absolutely one to watch. For Jack Shaw, he loses that O. Now his record has its first blemish. But this was not so much about Jack Shaw's loss. Rather than Ricky Simone's win, that was an incredible win. Cannot speak highly enough about it. And for Ricky Simone, now he gets to make his ascent toward a title shot. I think what's next, probably a five-round main event for Ricky up against a fellow contender. But nonetheless, it's got to be said, after five straight wins, Ricky Simone absolutely won to watch in the bantamweight division. Then we had our middleweight featured prelim, Puna Soriano up against Dolce Longiambula. Just quickly going back to that bantamweight one as well, I took Jack Shaw by submission, he lost by submission. So that was actually my first one wrong head to head on the card. Back to the middleweight featured prelim, Puna Soriano up against Dolce Longiambula. I took Soriano by knockout. And he got it done, 28 seconds into the second round. He'd already kind of done his damage. And we saw in between rounds, Dolce, he looked down and you could literally see his rib was like out. It was out. So he lasted 28 seconds in the second round. Maybe like, the I definitely think the rib had something to do with that. But at the same time, Soriano is an absolute weapon. I picked Soriano to win by knockout. That is exactly how it went down. So I was very happy with that. Put a bit of extra money in the account. And for Puna Soriano, a fantastic celebration. Dry humping the cage, doing like all sorts. They actually posted a video on Extreme Couture or the head coach did post on his Instagram. Really, really funny stuff saying, you know, come on, man, don't dry hump. I can, fuck, I can't do it justice. It'll be the shittest thing ever coming from my mouth. Um, but go to Puna Soriano's Instagram, that's where it is, and you'll be able to see it. Really funny. He's like, literally, no, nah, actually, I'm not even going to try and explain it. It's just going to be a total bad shit. But hilarious stuff. Some crude actions, but I found it an absolute laugh. And for Puna Soriano, what a win. Now snaps that two-fight losing skid. And for Dolce Longiambula, that is now three straight losses. So Dolce... Definitely not in an enviable position. And for Punahale Soriano, now he gets to push forward once again in this middleweight division. Cannot wait to see what is next for Extreme Couture's Puna Soriano.
With that being said, that was the preliminary portion. Uh, so now, let's move on to the main card. Alright, let's get amongst the main card. Starting with women's flyweight action, Lauren Murphy welcoming Misha Tate to the flyweight division in style. Murphy getting it done by decision, so getting it done over the full three rounds. She had just slightly more strikes. She had a lot more significant strikes, though, did Lauren Murphy, as well as landing two takedowns, whereas Misha Tate, 0-7, 0-7 with her takedown attempts. Lauren Murphy gets the win, coming off that loss to Valentina Shevchenko as well. So a loss for Lauren Murphy all of a sudden kind of puts her in purgatory, but this win immediately re-establishes her as one of the contenders of the division. I know that they're not going to leap straight into Lauren Murphy versus Valentina Shevchenko. We've already seen it. Lauren Murphy didn't really do much with the greatest respect. But she's just won. She now puts herself back in the position where another win or two. And, I mean, how could you not give her a title shot? So Lauren Murphy gets herself right back in contention. But for Misha Tate, the last three fights she's had have kind of been like, she's been saying, if I win, that immediately puts me into contender's status. She's lost both of them. The only win she's had was up against Marion Renault, and I'm pretty sure Renault was on a big losing skid. I'll quickly check that up now. Uh, but then Misha Tate took on Ketlin Vieira in a bantamweight main event. She lost. Then she moved down to flyweight with the intention of winning, putting herself right in title shot calculations. And she lost. Does make you wonder, maybe with the evolution of MMA, has Misha Tate's time passed her by? I know that's pretty harsh. She's still an awesome fighter at one of the best gyms in the world as well. But she's had two fights in a row now that were pretty much, you know, either she was going to get a title shot off a win or she was pretty much there or thereabouts. And she's lost both of them. For Marion Renault as well, one, two, three, four, she was on a four-fight losing skid when she took on Misha Tate. So that's the only win Misha Tate has had since returning. Two losses, both to really quality opposition. Don't get me wrong, this is not any Misha Tate hate. But I do think as far as contendership goes, her time's probably passed her by. I'd like to see her take on maybe a young contender in that flyweight division next a Casey O'Neill or someone like that. But yeah, it, it's not great for Misha Tate. I actually had her winning by decision and she lost by decision. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with Misha Tate going forward. But for Lauren Murphy, this fight belonged to her. And if anyone is to immediately enter back into title contention, well, it's not Misha Tate. It is lucky Lauren Murphy. No luck needed on this occasion, just pure skill. Lauren Murphy getting it done over Misha Tate. Then we moved on to featherweight action. This one of the fights of the night between New York's own Shane Burgos and Charles Jourdain. Burgos ended up getting the win by decision. It was a very much an action-packed fight. A lot more significant strikes for Charles Jourdain, who kind of had the better on the feet. But it was Shane Burgos and his groundwork that really got it done. Two takedowns landed three submission attempts, and he had a hell of a lot of control time as well. So the majority of the fight, whilst Jordan had more strikes, the control went to Shane Burgos. 
He was the one looking for the finish as well. But Charles Jordan with some excellent submission defense on display. Shane Burgos getting the win. I had him winning by knockout. Nobody's ever knocked out Charles Jordan. That record still remains intact. But Shane Burgos getting it done by decision. And at times he's been there or thereabouts when it comes to discussion of someone who can move into contention. So now for Shane Burgos, I think what's next for him is a really high level opponent. Not for the first time in his career, but he's proven off the back of that Charles Jordan win that he is still absolutely a problem for anyone in the featherweight division. The hometown hero, Shane Burgos, getting it done. After that, what did we have? Matt Schnell. Oh, this was fucking off tap. Sue Mudajeri up against Matt Schnell. And Mudajeri actually had Schnell rocked multiple times. I counted about four or five times where Matt Schnell's legs were wobbling. He looked like he was dead set about to just eat shit, like face first into the mat. All of a sudden, Matt Schnell rocks Sumo Dejeri, gets on top of him, and gets the submission win in round two. One of the great comebacks we've ever seen in the UFC. And Matt Schnell, huge win from him. I actually had Muda Jerry winning by knockout in that one, which at stages did look likely. But for Matt Schnell, he is in that flyweight division top 10. And off the back of that win, you'd have to expect a really high-level opponent for Matt Schnell next. Danger, Matt Schnell getting the win. That, that definitely the biggest comeback of the card. And then after that, we had welterweight action. Li Jingliang up against Muslim Salikov. I didn't actually end up making my prediction for this one. Li, Li Jingliang ended up getting the win as well over Muslim Salikov. The leech getting an emphatic round two knockout. He was tossing every member of his corner as well. And after that comes that Chimaev fight... That kind of, it was a step forward and two steps backwards for Li Jingliang. He now makes three steps forward off the back of yet another emphatic knockout. I believe the eighth of his UFC career. And Li Jingliang immediately back in the picture at welterweight. Not quite in title contention status, but let me pull up the rankings right now. I don't know if they've changed, but having a look, where are we? He's 14th in the rankings, so... I think with that, he'll probably move ahead of Jeff Neal, Neil Magny, maybe even Michael Chiesa. For Li Jingliang, that was a career-defining win. And for him, I don't know what's next. Do they go with someone who's just outside of the rankings as a nice test for that pro uh, prospect? Can't speak English. Or do they give Ling Jingliang, or Li Jingliang, fucking can't speak Chinese either, do they give him a top 10 opponent? Hard to tell because Sean Brady has already been announced for a fight with Bilal Muhammad. Maybe someone like Vicente Luque. That could definitely be one hell of a fight. We'll have to wait and see, but what I do know is that Li Jingliang still an absolute force in the welterweight division, getting that round two knockout over Muslim Salikov. Then, women's strawweight co-main event. Amanda Lemos up against Michelle Waterson, the karate hottie. Um, Lemos got it done as well in the second round by submission. So I had Lemos winning by knockout. That one, to be honest, I was kind of fucking a little bit distracted. So I didn't dial in fully to that matchup, but Amanda Lemos getting the win, coming off her loss against Jessica Andrade as well. So for Amanda Lemos, she immediately puts herself back to where she wants to be. 
floating around facing the, the top competition. She's facing the top competition. Whereas now for Michelle Waterson, probably a drop back in competition coming off the loss. But the fight belonged to Amanda Lamos, second round submission, and she avenges a loss in her last outing. That leaves only one now, and that is the main event. My goodness, I was expecting to talk about this one for 20, 25 minutes. Unfortunately, very anticlimactic ending. Great start. I mean, the fight, Yair Rodriguez, I should probably say the fight, shouldn't I? Brian Ortega up against Yair Rodriguez in the featherweight division. The start was immense. You could tell from the way it started, it was like, fuck, this is going to be such a quality fight. And then four minutes and 10 seconds into the first round, in an exchange on the mat, Brian Ortega's shoulder just came out. It, like, it was one of those weird ones. I could compare it to when Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and McGregor stepped back and his leg just fucked itself. One of those moments where it's like, Things are just getting started, and then you have the rug pulled out from under you. Very, very unfortunate for things to go down that way. For Brian T-City Ortega, super bummed to see that happen to him. He's an awesome fighter. I'm a huge fan. Always puts on a great show as well. And yeah, it was just unlucky. You can't really put it down to much more. This is cage fighting, for goodness sake. I mean, it's a tough industry, and this was definite example of that Brian Ortega's shoulder giving up on him and Yair Rodriguez getting a technical knockout win through injury not the best way to go into a title fight given that there was so much talk if Yair Rodriguez wins this that he was next for a shot at Alex Volkanovsky it's hard now it's like I think he still will get the shot but it definitely wasn't that win that cements you as a title challenger especially given that Josh Emmett has his claims as to why he could have a title shot as well. What I'd like to see is Josh Emmett up against Yair Rodriguez, winner faces Volkanovski, but I'm not going to complain if Yair Rodriguez does get the title shot off the back of this. He's an awesome fighter. I think his striking is something that has potential to trouble Volk as well, so it would be a great matchup. And unfortunately, this was going to be a great matchup, at least on paper. Ortega's shoulder proving to be the difference. Very, very anticlimactic end. And yeah, an, an anticlimactic end to this podcast as well. Like that was our our main event. Brian Ortega, get well soon, brother. Hopefully we get to see him back in the cage as soon as possible. And for Yair Rodriguez, well, now we wait and see. Does he get the title shot? Does he face Josh Emmett? Or does Dana White have something else up his sleeve? We'll have to wait and see. Yair Rodriguez getting the win though, and as I said, I actually was asleep, so um, yeah. When I woke up, I checked online on Google, UFC, and the first thing I saw was round one KO slash TKO, Yair Rodriguez, and I was like, holy shit, what a fucking, what a way, what a way to win. One fucking round, it was all it took for Yair Rodriguez to get the knockout, I chucked it on the tally. Unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't the technical knockout that I was hoping for. So very, very unfortunate. I had Ortega winning this one by submission, but this was really hard to pick. I thought both really tested each other perfectly. You had an amazing striker with knockout power up against an amazing grappler with serious submission game. On paper, an awesome contest. 
Unfortunately, that didn't translate into the actual fight. And so that's where I guess I leave it. The anticlimactic main event, Yair Rodriguez, is he the number one contender? It seems, it seems like it. It seems like Yair Rodriguez versus Volkanovski could be next. Where does Josh Emmett lie in all of this? I do not know. What's next for Brian Ortega? He had spoken about at some stage, wanting to give a crack at 155, going up to lightweight. So it's hard to tell. He is ranked second in the featherweight division. I would like him to stay there. And I'm interested to see who they matchmake him with next. I don't think they're going to go a Yair Rodriguez rematch, unfortunately. But for Ortega, no matter who he's matched up with, in that featherweight top 10, it is bound to be a cracking contest. For Yair Rodriguez, this could be it. This could be him going into a title shot now. He wouldn't give a shit how he gets it done. So long as he gets that W, that is exactly what happened. And now Yair realistically starts to prepare himself for his first UFC featherweight title shot. UFC Long Island bringing the goods up until that main event. Unfortunately, it's just a classic case of it is what it is. So we shan't dwell on it. I'm not here to kick stones. Whatever. Shit happens. We'll leave it at that, shall we? Shit happens. Life goes on. Life certainly does go on as well because this weekend, UFC London. Stay tuned because this week, the full preview and predictions going to be coming out a little bit early. So that'll give you more time to listen to it. And yeah, I won't release it like an hour before the card. I think that's best for everyone. So until UFC London, preview and predictions. And of course, next weekend, UFC London, or this weekend, it's fucking Monday now, isn't it? UFC London, thoughts and comments, a similar format to this, except I'll actually be watching it live. It'll be, this one was a bit all over the place, just given that I had to rewatch the card and I knew the results. And you didn't have that kind of live reaction excitement. So that will be changed this weekend. UFC London. I'm going to be going through all night. This time I will stay up all night. Just like I did the last time UFC London was on. And from the very first fight. All the way through to our main event. I will be giving my thoughts and comments. And we'll be checking up on how I went through the week. With my preview and predictions. Overall my picks pretty decent as well. So... Tune in this week. Maybe we can make some money together. Until then, that has been UFC Long Island Thoughts and Comments. And until UFC London Preview and Predictions, fuck, that's a mouthful. Take care.